0: I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, today to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter number 15. Normally at these things, Carissa will sing for us, Nathan will be here with the guitar, but they've been under the weather, and so we're not going to have a a special live stream uh, for you today in music, but we'll get right into the Word today, and I pray that God blesses you and keeps you safe on these roads. Uh, Our plans are to have Wednesday night service, hope you'll be there, and of course next Sunday right back in place, and looking forward to being together. Luke chapter number 15. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there. And I'll begin reading in verse number 1. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 1. Pay attention to the people that we're going to be introduced to as we get uh, into this chapter uh, in Luke. Verse 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them. Now that's significant. Circle that word, this parable. So it's singular. Now we're going to find three divisions to this. We're going to find the lost sheep. We're going to find the lost coin. And then we're going to find the lost boy. Okay? The lost sheep um, was lost because of uh, its, its nature. Was lost by its nature. The coin was lost by the uh, indifference and the lack of handling of another. The lost boy was lost because of his own personal rebellion against God. And so we see three different types that are shown in this singular parable and the three points that Jesus is giving here. And so he spake this parable unto them, verse 3, saying, "What uh, um, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, uh, and go after that which is lost until he find it. <clears throat> and when he find it, he layeth it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbours, saying unto them, Rejoice, for I have found my sheep lost. And I say unto you that. Life As joy shall be in heaven uh, over one that repenteth more than ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose uh, one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And then the remainder, he goes into uh, the story of the prodigal son. What a famous story that is. Charles Dickens called it the most uh, famous of all short stories ever written. And so each of these parts of this parable shed light on our responsibility as um, witnesses, as soul winners, and it also shows us the attitude of God toward the lost. Let's pray, and then we'll get right into the message. Father, we love you today. We thank you for the joy of being here. We want to thank you for, uh, Lord, the equipment we have to have a nice live stream. I remember the first time we did it, we just had a cell phone. And uh, then you blessed and worked, and people contributed and donated, and I'm thankful for that. I pray now that you would um, bless uh, our message today. Thank you for every person that's tuning in. I pray that you would have your way and will in all that we say and do, and I pray that you would burden our hearts and uh, help us, dear God, I pray to be more soul conscious uh, than we've ever been, and uh, we'll praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Take a sip of water here. In the opening scene of our text, um, we find that the Lord is crowded by two groups of people, okay? First of all, uh, and they're lumped together, we, we find the publicans and then the sinners. A publican was a Jewish person that was hired by the Roman government, and I, I know most of you know this, but they were hired by the Roman government to collect taxes. What, what you may not know is not only were they tax collectors, but they were, they were officials of the Roman government that had the uh, authority uh, to determine what buildings would be demol- de- demolished, um, where, where buildings could be put up, um, where uh, land would be confiscated in the name of progress and for the glory of Rome. Uh, and so they were turncoats. They were what we would call in America a Benedict Arnold. They were Judas before Judas as far as the uh, Jewish people were concerned, and they were, they were greatly hated by the Jewish people. The second group that is there uh, consists of people who were considered sinners. Just That was a blanket, generic uh, label that was placed upon them, and it applied to anyone except those that were applying it. If you didn't like somebody, you called them That meant that they were morally below you. That meant uh, that somehow they were outside the boundaries of decency. Maybe, maybe it was, in fact, that they just lived uh, below the accepted norm for responsible Jewish society. One thing was certain, there was no way out for them. Once a person became officially labeled by religion, by the Jewish religion, once they became labeled as sinners, they could never escape that tag. It was a tag that they carried with them all the days of their life, and a condemnation that they could not get out from under. And so both of these groups are present, all right? They're, they're around Jesus. They're gathered with Him at the table. And they're there because they wanted to hear a man that accepted them. Now, I want to remind you that acceptance is not the same as approval. I think that sometimes we don't accept people because we feel like if we accept them then we're putting our stamp of approval on how they live or what they believe or or how they look and the reality of the matter is that's not so whatsoever acceptance is the optimal atmosphere for change and you'll never get anybody to get to a place to where they're willing to allow god to begin to bring change into their life without them first finding acceptance. So just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Jesus will accept you as you are, but he won't leave you there. And so, so here are people that have gathered and, uh, uh, and, and they're there because he loves them. They're there because he accepts them. They're there because he embraces them. When you read the word uh, from, uh, the, uh, from the Pharisees and the scribes, we'll talk about just in a moment, the religious leaders of that day, they're condemning him uh, because he received sinners. Now, the word received doesn't mean that he greeted them with an awkward handshake. It means that word literally, the root of that word, means that he embraced them. <laughs> he waded into them. He was all about them. Um, he, he was embracing of who they were. Not what they did, but of who they were. And they found in him, in Christ, in Jesus, they found someone that that loved them. Now, two other groups in the vicinity um, were the Pharisees and the scribes. If you go to the end of this chapter and you read the story of the lost boy, the prodigal son, you'll find it ends with the elder brother in the yard condemning not only the father's action toward the prodigal, but embellishing the sin of the prodigal. Let me tell you something about Pharisees. They always embellish the sins of people that have done wrong. No, no need to do that. What they did was wrong. You don't have to embellish it, but that's what a Pharisee does. So he's accusing his, his wayward brother, who's now come home, of doing things that, that, that uh, he had no possible way of knowing that he had committed. Here they are, scribes and Pharisees. They're there with a magnifying glass. And the only reason they're there is to find fault. And, and uh, they were repulsed by what the Lord had done and were shocked by the fact that here is a man uh, who is supposed to be a rabbi and uh, in their minds a, s- a spiritual leader, and yet he's sitting amongst what they would consider riffraff. So much so that when they would walk in, public marketplaces, they would gather their robe up around them, lest their robe brush uh, across the body of some undesirable sinner or publican, and uh, they saw themselves as so far above others that they didn't want to even come into physical contact with them. Now, I, I want to just say this, but I, I want to say that, that we have to be very careful here Because if we're not careful, we can find ourselves sitting in the same position that the Pharisees and the scribes were in. We can find ourselves looking down uh, upon others and uh, in taking a conservative stand like we do as Christians, as Baptists in particular, uh, we can find ourselves looking down on others who might not be quite where we're at and, uh, and rather uh, than loving them, receiving them, embracing them, connecting with them. We can have an, an aloft attitude where we stand off from people that aren't just like us. And we can demand on what I call the cult of identicalness, where we insist on people meeting certain criteria before they can gain our approval. It's a sad thing when you walk in a church and you feel, you feel a vacuum there you're not a part of it until you somehow gain access and the stamp of approval uh, that you meet the criteria uh, to be welcomed and loved in the church. We don't ever want that to happen uh, at South Valley. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. We talked about this in our study of Romans. And I want to remind you that you can have your doctrine all straight but the reality of the matter is, if we're not right ourselves, he said, take heed to thyself. Make sure you're right and to your doctrine. Uh, and so it's very important uh, that 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 we love people and we reach the lost. So he talks about he talks about a shepherd uh, in the first segment of this parable that's lost that has a hundred sheep. He's lost one, so he's got ninety nine percent. Why waste your time going after the one? Well, he did so because the shepherd knew every single sheep by, by identity. He identified with each one of them. <clears throat> it was his sheep. He was connected with his flock. And so he he left that sheep, <clears throat> that one sheep, and went after that sheep and found them. I want to just tell you this: I don't care how far down you've gone. How far out in the wilderness you are. How wounded and injured you may be. How forsaken by others you may be. You may be a lost sheep in the middle of a wilderness. Can I tell you that the great shepherd knows your name? He knows your past. He knows your present. He already knows what you've done. He already knows where you're at. And the shepherd loves you. And if you're you're listening today, somehow on, on live stream, or you're watching this later on YouTube, or uh, uh, somehow you've been reached by this video, and you may be here today without Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, I don't, I don't care where you are. He loves you and cares for you. Now, after the parable part of, of, the, of the lost sheep, after that first segment of this parable, he then begins to talk about a woman who has ten coins and loses one of those. And, and then she searches for it. When she finds it, she's just... Exuberant. And she calls her neighbors, and her neighbors come and she said, I found the coin, and they are all excited and happy for her. And so I want to talk with you for just the next few moments about finding coins in the dirt. I want you to notice, first of all, the value of the lost coin. Now, I I think it's important, excuse me, first of all, that we realize uh, the value that the coin and how it was illustrated here. It was valuable not to the world, but it was valuable to the woman who had lost it. Um, she wasn't wealthy. I think that's evident by the amount of time and effort she put into finding the lost coin. The piece, the pieces of silver were called ten drachma. That's basically what it was that was represented there uh, on on this thing called the frontlet that 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 a. Uh, uh, a bride would be given by the groom. And so it was It was 10 pieces of coinage that were hanging there. And the drachma had a value of about 15 cent. So when she loses that drachma in in her house, she's not losing something that would be considered a great value to the world. She takes that uh, and, and cashes it in for whatever she needs. She's getting 15 cent for it. So there's not a great deal of value there to her. And so the, 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 the whole sum of the, of the entire 10 pieces, you know, exceeded uh, a a dollar barely. And, 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 and so there's a buck and a half. And so there's not a whole lot there. And so we're not dealing, I just want to establish, we're not dealing with a huge financial loss here. The sum was small, but the value was great. The value was great. Um, and I think, I think this, to understand that, let's, let's, let's talk about the frontlet. Because the frontlet was, it was like a head bracelet, if I could word it that way. And from that bracelet were hung ten coins that were given to the bride by the groom on their wedding day. It was sort of like what we have when we wear a wedding ring. This ring, this ring is a symbol of my wife's love for me. And she placed this on my hand when we got married uh, 48 years ago. And and this has value to me. Not, not, that it's, it's, not that it has a great monetary value, but the value is because of who it's connected with. Susie gave me this. Susie placed this upon my finger, and so it has great meaning to me. Well, it's the same way with the frontlet uh, back in these, in these Bible times. It was given to the bride by the bride. Room as a symbol of his love for her. Now, how she cared for that, how she cared for that was revealing uh, of love uh, for him. Uh, if she lost it, uh, then it would be an indication that uh, she was not only careless, uh, but that she had been indifferent to her marriage vow. It was the outward symbol of a, of a vow that she had made and of her inward feelings toward her husband. And so everywhere she went, everywhere she went, she carried that. And everybody that would see her would know, hey, that she's a happily married woman. If a coin was missing, then they would think that it had no more value to her than when she had just some arbitrary need at the marketplace, she pulled a coin off of her wedding bracelet and traded it in for something that she might deem more valuable, and so it was a symbol of of uh, her respect and her love um, for her, her husband, and it represented the most important relationship of her life. It was the it was the one representation she had publicly of what she felt toward her husband and what she. Let me just apply that to you and me. Um, we have no value to this world. I think somebody said chemically we're about a buck ninety-eight. I don't know, but the world doesn't value us. The world doesn't value its own. I mean, life is cheap today. I think we all are aware of that, and it's in the news all day. But what the world does is it eats people up and spits them out. What the world will do is it will use you until you have nothing left to give, and then it will abandon you. Somebody said it'll take you where you never intended to go, charge you more than you intended to pay, and keep you a lot longer than you ever intended to stay. It will use you until you have nothing left to give, and then it leaves you broken and miserable, disillusioned, bitter, and lonely. And so we need to, we need to be aware of the fact that Though we don't have great value in the world, there is someone who values us. For God so loved us, the Bible says, God so loved the world, every person in it. You're not talking about trees and mountains and rivers and streams there. He's talking about people. And for God so loved the world that He gave, you know what He gave? He gave the highest price paid for anything in the history of the universe He gave His Son, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so God's value that He places on you is incredible. Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I want to remind us as a church, South Valley family, that Jesus did not come to rally the self-righteous. He didn't come to give us a place where we can gather together impress each other with our clothing and uh, our cars. I hope that doesn't insult Steve Marsh uh, with his Corvette, but anyhow, or his Tonka truck. But anyhow, that's not why we come. Uh, And and I'm, I'm clowning around. We like our vehicles and we all enjoy those things, but the reality, we know that's not why we're there. We're there because God's brought us together as a family, so that we might be edified and grow and that we might go out into this world and reach the loss that he gave such a high price for. Now, I want you to notice something else about the, the, the coin that we're, that's in the dirt. I want you to notice, second of all, uh, this coin we're talking about was lost by improper handling. Now, remember this, the sheep was lost because of its inherent nature. The boy that will follow this part of the parable will be lost by his own personal rebellion toward God. But the coin was lost through no fault of its own. Somebody had mishandled it improperly. Notice what she said there. She said, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace, watch this, which I had lost. Can I tell you that there are broken people in this world Uh, that were broken by others. There are children in this world that are brought up in families where they literally don't stand much of a chance at all of becoming anything in life. We thank God for those that do, but I just want you to understand that there are kids that are brought up in certain situations. We we might want to ignore and turn a blind eye to, but there there are kids that are raised in difficult parts of the world, and in inner cities, and third world countries, and even in, even in our neighborhoods with parents that don't know God, and there are drugs involved, and alcohol involved, and they don't really have much of an opportunity to amount to anything. I remember years ago, when I was youth pastor right at Bible College, I've told you the story of how I went to a difficult part of Savannah, where there were gangs hanging out. <coughs> Excuse me, and I brought, I brought my Bible and I walked into the pool room and the game room where they were at and laid my Bible on the table. And it got deathly quiet. And I began to talk with those guys and began to witness to them. And We, we wound up loading a bus up with about 40 of them and driving them on that Sunday church. You, you know what I found out about that group that were so hard, so difficult? I remember, I remember their nicknames and Mohawk and Outlaw and the different names they had. You know what I found out about them? I found out that they were just broken. They didn't stand much of a chance. They came from a home uh, that was difficult at the very least to live a normal life, much less a Christian life. And so as we brought them to minister to them and to help them, I found out that by loving them, by caring for them, uh, that there was value in them. Many of them I was able to minister to for many years of their lives. Some of them are in heaven now. Some of them I performed their, their wedding and uh, had the joy of doing that. And they're my friends even to this day. We stay connected through social media uh, like Facebook. And, uh, and so I'm just, I'm just telling you uh, there are people in this world, much like those teenagers, uh, that haven't set out to live a life apart from God and on the other side of the boundary line of what we would consider uh, uh, accepted living uh, uh, and, and yet they've been handled in a careless and harmful manner uh, and they're and they're lost. And they're lost because somebody mishandled them. And, and the sad thing is that the scribes and the Pharisees and by the way they're alive today. They're alive today. And ...infiltrate churches. And the sad thing about the scribes and Pharisees is that they couldn't get past what they saw externally. that did not match up with their own personal sanctimonious expectations. They fell short of the standards that these two groups had. And I want to just tell you that, that, that a standard is to draw us closer to God, but certainly not further from men... The world is full of lost people that have mishandled. By the way, sometimes in the name of Christianity. They've been mishandled and all we give them are lofty glances from a pedestal that we have built ourselves. We've constructed ourselves. Have mercy on us. There is value in those that have been mishandled. Third thing I want you to see is this. and That is that the coin was lost in the dirt and in the dark. Now, I've, I've talked with you about this before, but I want to remind you that when we read this parable, you can't, you can't put this, you can't frame this scene in an American home, okay, where you've got four square walls, you know, eight-foot ceiling, nine-foot ceiling, um, hardwood floors, carpeted floors. You, you can't do that. It, it is in uh, this Middle Eastern house, Uh, Most of them were without glass windows. Uh, Most of them, when the sun went down, were very dark and had to be lit by candles and lanterns. The floor was mostly earth. Oftentimes, animals lived in there. Even in third world countries today, that's the case. I remember preaching in India, and I was invited in a home, and I went in the home, and in one segment of the home, there were some baby calves and things that were being raised there. And so the floor there was, was not concrete or hardwood or even carpet. And um, so we're not talking about a lady getting out her Dyson and vacuuming her uh, immaculate uh, hardwood floors in hopes of finding uh, the coin. This woman's <laughs> dirt. She was sweeping dirt in hopes of finding a coin amidst the dirt that was in her house and uh, it, it had great value to her. And, and so I, I think that uh, we might assume that in looking for the coin, she's looking under books and she's searching under uh, paper that she may have on a, on a desk, maybe a tabletop. But the reality of the matter is that's, that's not where the coin was lost. If it's on a tabletop, it's evident. Uh, if, it's, if, if it's sitting somewhere where it's elevated, it's much easier to find. Remember, she swept. What does that mean? That means that, that the place that she was looking was in the dirt. She's looking amidst the dirt. And, and, and I, I would picture that probably she got down on her hands and knees and moved about the dirt. In fact, I, I think that's clearly the picture given in the Bible because the Bible says that she got a light, and she searched the dirt with the light. So she's down, she's getting down on eye level amidst the dirt, and she's looking there uh, for the coin. And so she begins to sweep the house, and uh, I think, no doubt, hope that somehow the broom would pull out the coin from under a piece of furniture where perhaps uh, it had fallen, and out of the dirt where it was embedded. Finally, she gets down on her hands and knees, Uh, Amidst the dirt and the dung of the animals that oftentimes were there, she illuminated the deep, dark corners where her precious coin uh, had been lost. Jesus said to us in the book of Mark, chapter 16, verse 15, Go ye into all the world and the gospel to every creature. He says, into all the world. That's not just tabletops. He says, into all the world. That's not, that's not just perhaps on a piece of furniture where it might have fallen out of, uh, uh, bounced off of her front lid and across her clothing and, and onto the furniture. We're to go into all the world, even the places that are very dark, even the places that are not respectable, even the places where there's little light, we're to go. I wonder what it would take to shock us at South Valley for somebody to come into our midst that perhaps came from a really dark place. I wonder how we could receive somebody that, that was so different from who we were. I'm so thankful for you and how you embraced my passion and courage to remain that way, to be willing to love people and to find people in the dirt and the dung, where the dirt and the dung inspire to hide the valuable and to discourage those that are seeking it. You think the woman felt good placing her hands down in that mess and getting her knees and literally crawling in the midst of it? No. No. But she went there because what was there was valuable to her. And I want to tell you, as Baptist people, and I'm, I'm just being real honest with you, I grew up in this movement. And we were always the front lines of soul winning and missions. And I fear that somehow, today we're circling our wagons and we're, we're trying to protect what we have rather than reaching what is lost. And we've got to get back. I mean, we've got to get back to sh** on the street and it's not just a program. I, that's the thing that disturbs me and has disturbed me my entire ministry. It's, it's not just a Tuesday night program or Saturday morning program. It's not just that we go soul winning, that we go witnessing, This we are. We are soul winners. We are witnesses. That means what? That means when, when it's not an organized time, what do we do, fold up our Bible, put away our tracts? No, 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 no. We take them everywhere we go. That's what we are. It's not what we do. It's who we are. And, and, and we're to be a witness. Every opportunity that we get, we are to be a witness to people. I've said this, I think maybe last week. I, I can't remember. I'm saying it. But, but um, I've been selling some things on Marketplace, and I get scammers in. Scammers will ask, and I, you can tell in just a few minutes that somebody's trying to scam And, and so I've taken the opportunity... To give them, I've, I've written out a gospel witness that I copy and paste right onto the thing. When they're scamming me, I just send them a gospel witness about how that Jesus died for them and loved them. I want to tell you, um, I don't hear back from them, but they're getting a witness. And I'm sending it to them. Whatever they do with it, it's their business. I'm just trying to get the gospel out. And uh, I, I think that ought to be our responsibility everywhere we go. In the grocery store, to to to, and I know they're self-out. Checkouts now, but in the grocery store to the worker that's there, uh, the the stock the stock lady, the stock boy, the cashier, wherever you go, be, be be careful about giving out a witness for Christ. It doesn't always present itself as a sole opportunity, but it is a witnessing opportunity, and so we we need to. Um, we need to get busy uh, as a people. And, and you know why I'm talking about this? And, and you know why this month is about this? is because I am convicted and I want to be convicted that I need to do more. And if I would go to India and give the gospel everywhere and wouldn't do that in America, then I'm, hi- I'm a hypocrite. And so we need, to, we need to get to a place to where we uh, we we get back at that. L- listen, we're I- I've got some preacher friends. I'm thinking of Bill Marshall, who pastors in St. Joe, Missouri. Bill wasn't found on a table. Bill was found in the dirt. He was a lost coin down in the dirt in the dunk of this world. But all my heavenly father valued him. And that's where he was found. Somebody brought the light to him, and somebody found him. And and it's easy for us to sit and wait on Uh, the perfect church prospect to walk through the door. A family that somebody else has, has won and loved and trained, and they come in with their checkbook ready to write out a tithe check, and we're excited because they look like us, walk like us, and talk like us. But that's not what this is about. We're not here to gather. We're not here to gather. And I thank God, by the way, we've got people in our church that came to us like that. And man, I'm so grateful for them. Because you know what they're doing? They're jumping in and putting their shoulder to the plow. So I'm, I'm grateful for everybody that was trained wherever they were trained. And now they're a part of South Valley because their life uh, had, a, had a, a, a transition in it. They've moved. Now they're a part of our valley and they're a part of our church and we love them. But together, we ought to be reaching a world uh, that is lost and the grounded people those of us that are grounded in the word we're to be goers not not just sitting back welcoming those that come when i was on my way to idaho richard king who we support what a great what a great church planner what a what a man that has helped so many churches we love richard and jan and and uh, their family were so so uh grateful for them, dear friends of the Lord and of our ministry. I was in a meeting in Oklahoma City. In fact, the same meeting I'm going to uh, this week, he made a statement. He said, There are places where there is a lot of lateral movement from church to church, but no increase in the kingdom. I want to tell you what that did for me. It smote me right in the heart. And I, I said to myself, sitting in that meeting, by the grace of god i wanted to go somewhere where we could reach people that had not been reached where where there would be an increase in the kingdom where where lost people would be found where we could get on our knees and our hands and take the light and search for lost coins and lost sheep and lost boys and we could make a difference in somebody's life and so richard had an impact on my life and and I, I want to just tell you, um, listen to me carefully. Listen, if we go like we're commanded to go, we're going to find people that have dirt on them. We're going to find people like the prodigal son who's been in the hog pen and have the smell of dung. That's, that's the kind of people th- that we're going to find, the people that aren't ready, as far as our, our viewer the way we view them, to step into church leadership. They still carry the stench of the world, but I want to just tell you that that Jesus loves them enough to die for them, and that's who we're after. Fourth thing I want you to notice this, and that is that though the coin was lost and dirty, the coin still bore the image of the king. Now, if you go back to the feudal system, when there were different city kingdoms all over the place, each city kingdom had its own coinage. And when a new, when, when a new um, uh, feudal lord, what we would call a king, would arise to the leadership of that city kingdom, he would stamp his image. The coinage would be resmelted, and the image of that king would be stamped upon it. That's why th- th- there were... Oftentimes when you go city to city, there'd be, there would be money exchangers because the money that you carried that had this guy's image on it might not carry the value here that it does there. And so they would, they would be there to to determine uh, the value of that. But in, in the in the days of the Bible where we're reading it, you remember that they took the coin out of the mouth of the fish, and Jesus said, Whose image is stamped on that? Well, it's the image of Caesar. Why? Because the the image, the image belonged to the king and it was money from his kingdom. And so it was under his authority. Jesus said in that setting in Matthew chapter 22, after the Herodians had questioned whether the disciples were to pay their taxes. Verse 21, Jesus said, whose image is on that coin? And so they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. Listen, if it has Caesar's image, then give it to him. If it bears God's image, remember, don't, don't cut that verse off short. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Well, that's not where it ends. And unto God the things that are God's. I've preached to homeless people many, many, many times. I've had the privilege of giving out hot chocolate on a cold day, much like today. I've stood in a food line and dished spaghetti out and put it on a plate. Talked with different ones of them and prayed with them. You know what I see in their face? I see the image of God. Because every human being, no matter how, big, no matter how dark their life is, they all bear the image of God. And we are to render unto God the things which are God's. So the coin with Caesar's stamp on it meant nothing to a heavenly father who has it all. He only a of a thousand hills. What meant something to God was the people that bore his image. And beyond, beyond the dirt and the stench, the lost man bears the image of God. And we need to see beyond the scars... Of alcoholism and addiction and we need to see the image of God in them. You know why Jesus sat with sinners? Because He looked in their face and saw the image of His Father. He saw His Father in them. And so this woman, she finds the coin and I believe she begins to clean the coin and soon the image of the king could be seen that was buried beneath the dirt and the dung. And I want to tell you what Jesus will do for you. He'll take you and He'll take off the dirt and He'll take off the dung. And you'll see people and you'll never know what they once were, where they once had been, how sin had once sullied them and tainted their life. And now they shine with the glory of the image of of the eternal King all over them and how I thank God for his ability to change. Let me let me just close with this point and that is simply this. If we're going to search, we need the light to search with. So she didn't she didn't wade into the darkness and somehow try to attract the coin out. No, no, you know, she did. She took light to to where the coin was and the light penetrated the darkness. Let me tell you, let me tell you what this book does. It penetrates. Let your light so shine before men that they may see you, good wor- your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so our 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 this is the light. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So as we go out, what changes people? It's not our philosophy. It's not some psychological uh, impact we have on people. This book has an impact on other people, and uh, it's the light that brings. Um, uh, the 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 truth into the darkness where they're at, and we're able to have uh, an impact on them. I think back through my ministry at broken people that I've taken contact with, shattered lives, young people that have lived in horrible conditions, and yet when the word of God penetrates the darkness of their life, God remakes them and turns them into vessels of honor for His glory. I thank, I thank God for that. And I just want to tell you, uh, those stories are, are many because, because Jesus has been changing lives down through the centuries. And, uh, your life is one and my life is also. And though we may not have been buried very far in the desert, nonetheless, we were lost, and yet we had value before the Lord. Uh, and so, I, I want to encourage you and uh, just um, uh, hope that you'll take to heart our responsibility. We're going to be back on uh, our theme next Sunday. I've got a very important message look forward to bringing, and I'm ready to preach it and ready to go with it, and looking forward to talking to you about our responsibility as a church in reaching people. Now, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, with it. We start, we start where we are. Let's, this week, I mean, look, tomorrow you're going to meet somebody. Maybe this afternoon. I don't know. There's snow everywhere. But maybe as you get out and about, and you got to go back to work and, uh, you know, maybe like the schools you have tomorrow off. But this snow's going to melt and you're going to get back out into society and you're going to begin to carry on your business and shopping and everything else that goes on in our everyday life. Bring the love of God with you. Reach people. Give them the gospel. Give them a track. Tell them about Jesus, the mighty to save. And God will use you in a way that you cannot possibly imagine now. I want you to know I love you. I miss you today. And I'm so grateful. I'm gonna pray and then we'll be dismissed. But let's just ask God to help us Um, to be better witnesses for His honor and His glory. Lord Jesus, oh, we love you today. Somebody reached me. Somebody brought truth to me. And I remember that day when Bobby Richardson told me the greatest love story ever told. And I thank you that the Holy Spirit of God arrested my heart and that I got saved As a 12-year-old boy, I'm grateful for the souls I've been able to lead to Christ over the years, and yet I'm aware of the fact that there's so, so many more. Lord, help us as South Valley Baptist Church that we would reach out and witness to people, Lord, in such a way. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. And I pray that you would do in our midst, Lord, what only you can do. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.